0: The show where we can honestly say our halftime show is better than your halftime show. Yep, I am four years old and loving every minute of it. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and totally pumped general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. It's been a lot of football talk all week, folks. A lot of football talk. Totally into it. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m. right after Charlie, who did give me some stress this morning as I was driving, uh, trying to get here, and he's... Again, talking about stress, and I'm like, you know, we got to stop talking about stress. Anyway, right after Charlie and right before Notham's live lunches, I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Since the last time we spoke, I have uh, inadvertently flushed my wedding band down the toilet. Uh, so, yes, I will say that trucked one up there with a wacky moment. Coming to you from the home of the Notham Seal Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I'm joined, Avram, get that ready, I'm joined by my handy-dandy partner, What's up, Avram? First time, long time. We're doing a lot of, we're going to do a lot of sports references today. First time, long time. Yeah, thank God. Everything's well. How was your commute?
1: Uh, It was actually very good. Bus wasn't too full, so I had a chance to, uh, to sleep well. Thank God. And, uh, actually, it was, uh, very surprising that, um, Charlie's guest that was here, uh, Mm -hmm. alone, uh, were good friends from when I lived in, uh, Queens. It was very good to see him. So, so far, it's been a, it's been a good day. Good trip. Uh, I good coffee, got challah for Shabbos. I
0: don't know how so to break it bed. to you. By the way, he can take you in like a second with his pinky.
1: Yeah, I know that. All right. <laughs> I was not in the IDF or the U.S. Army. Or, right. I can so. spell
0: IDF and I can spell Army. By the way, that's just uh, that's as close as we get. All right, but your commute was fine. You should know, by the way, that today was the only day that my commute was bad. I've actually driven to work every single day this week, even though you know I have a really I try to stick to my no-drive policy. I drove today, and then Charlie talking about stress with Nahum at like the last 10 minutes of J.M. and A.M., and then talking about the beginning of the show, I'm literally screaming. Sorry, Charlie. I was screaming at Charlie, though he could not hear me. I'm like, yes, this is good for me. This is good for me. And you know what the recovery was from my stress? What? A cookie. Okay, let's go oh, on. That's not bad. And no, totally not. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, Thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Erit Sandler does. Friend me at Facebook. Send me an invite at LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, Miriam at NachumSiegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. Not being rude, I'm just being honest. Please make sure to email me, though. I will get back to you afterwards. You can also follow us on Twitter, NachumSiegelNet, all one word, and Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. Avram, also, I'm going to throw this out to our listeners so they can email you during the show. Because Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock have, um, I should say, are ha- have have graced us with being the major major guest.
1: It's talent. very exciting. By the way, it's very exciting. He's high energy. I saw. I've only seen them live one time uh, back when I was in Israel, but it's it's he, They put on a great show. They so. do.
0: And you know what else? I've I've only gotten to know Lenny through this experience. He's such a nice guy. Nice guys finish first, folks. Nice guys finish first. I'm I'm sure that you've, thank God, seen a lot of the good press that we've gotten recently throughout the la- throughout the week.
1: We're everywhere. It looks like we're oh, everywhere, no,
0: right? <laughs> we're taking over. Um, yeah, it's actually very exciting. It's very, very, very exciting. So, call a Kavot to Lenny, and um, I really appreciate his friendship and him working together with us and all of our sponsors, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show. And so Erit Sandler is somebody that we met yesterday at Cedar Market while we were recording, while we were videoing the uh, the commercials that we have for our halftime show. And uh, she really very sweet. She's a listener. So Erit, shout out to you. Thank you so much for coming over to us, for introducing yourself, and for all your positive feedback. Let's go to our favorite segment. What does the fortune cookie say? I'm feeling lucky, folks. I am feeling lucky. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. What if I said something about, like, publicity or PR? What do you think? All right. Or about football. I'm not looking yet. What do you think? Anything? Um, You have no mic.
1: I don't know.
0: (laughs) All right. That was. Sorry. That was um. right. Doing
1: engineering stuff here. Hold on.
0: (laughs) The one good thing about repeating your mistakes is that you know when to cringe. Okay, you know what? Now I'm not feeling that one at all. I just crumpled it up, and we're going to forget it didn't happen. Oh, by the way, this is what I was saying. So, in light of the fact that Schlockrock is headlining our halftime show, I am calling out to Orval, all of our listeners, anybody who's tuned in right now to That's Life, email of Rummy, AF, of Rummy Finkelstein, AF, and NahumSiegel.com. Rummy,
1: As I always say, A for a Rummy, F for Fantastic. Okay. In case people don't hear the F, they might hear an S or whatever else. So, you have right. to people know. AF.
0: AF. Okay. <laughs> for Fantastic. Like you're a superhero. All right, af at nachamsegel.com. Please do me a favor, email your request for what song we should close with today. I have one picked out. I have a schlock rock selection picked out, but I'm looking for your input. So please do me a favor. You can email af, af at nachamsegel.com. Schlock rock requests for the closing of That's Life today, right before we go into the live lunch with Nacham Siegel. So national holidays. It's National Inane Answering Message Day. Yep, I told you, there's something for everybody. It's National Inane Answering Message Day. Remember that Seinfeld when George has this answering machine message that was uh, that went to the theme song from uh, Greatest American Hero? Yes. Right, exactly. I tried I... to
1: explain that show to my son. <laughs> he doesn't understand why the guy can fly and he can't land.
0: Okay, I thought you were trying to explain Seinfeld. I'm like, dude, you can't explain No, the Seinfeld. Greatest American Hero. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Greatest American Hero is just something to uh, to appreciate if you're from that era. But I want you to know that I, in college, too, had an inane answering message. Of course, you would imagine that I would. It was um, You May Be Right, I May Be Crazy by Billy Joel. And usually everybody found it funny. Ironically enough, my mother did not. Folks, it's also Noam Eisenberg's birthday. And for you, that may not qualify as a national holiday because you don't know Noam. But Noam is my first cousin. And um, it's fun to have. If you have a cousin who's close in age to you, you know how fun it is to have a cousin who's close in age to you. And Noam is more like a brother, and I'm not just saying that on the air, he's more like a brother um, than he is a cousin. So my shout-out to Noam, I wish him a happy birthday, and you should make sure to celebrate Noam and his birthday by tagging him on Facebook in as many pictures as possible, because nothing annoys him more. And that is the way how siblings celebrate each other's birthdays, by annoying them. So make sure to find Noam Eisenberg (laughs) on Facebook And annoy him as much as possible. By the way, Avrami, I just want to let you know that it's also National Tea Month. I know, right? You smiled. His eyebrows just went up. I know you can't hear I drink tea. I know you can't hear that his eyebrows just went up, but his eyebrows just went up. So I'm not making that up. It's almost like your own personal national celebration. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Segal Network. And my guest for this hour, I'm totally psyched. I'm a little bit giddy, by the way, if you haven't been able to tell. A lot of adrenaline here at the network this week and specifically because of my guest. My guest is somebody who has been here before. My guest is somebody who's been on with Nahum, but frankly I don't feel like there's ever enough time to spend with Coach Johnny Halpert, whose new book, Are You Still Coaching, 41 Years Coaching Yeshiva University Basketball, hit the hit the stands, shall we say, just a couple of weeks ago. And um it is something, it is a project, it is a labor of love, I would probably say for Coach Halpert. Um, but it is something that as one of his fans, we've been waiting for forever. So coach, thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you very much for having me, William. This, you're right. It has been, seems forever. It's about three years in coming, four years, I think, wow. since I mentioned it to you, right? It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. It really is crazy. It's, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's not the same, but it's like giving birth, you know, right? <laughs> but uh, the, with, with some labor pains.
0: <laughs> I can only imagine, but, you yeah. know, authors often, uh, after, speaking to a number of authors and having them on the air, I ask them, so how do you feel about the book? And more often than not, off the air, somebody will say something like, I hate it. It was just like it was my albatross. I needed to just be done with it.
2: Uh, I, I sensed a feeling of relief, but I, because it's this, I think it's the scariest thing I ever tried. Oh. To write a book, you know, that's very different than talking and writing, you know, grant, p- and you know, I'm used to writing term papers and juxtaposing, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, you don't want to juxtapose in a, in a memoir, you know, so. Right. But yeah, I was, uh, my main concern was I would write it, and at the end I got scared because I said, oh my god, what happens if everybody thinks it stinks? Right. So I was really quite scared, but fortunately my wife said, enough. <laughs> You are publishing this book. Let's go. And my kids gave me a lot of encouragement because they had read it and they said, no, they liked it. They liked it. So, and I read it again. I put it away for about two months and didn't read it and went back and read it. And I said, you know, I like it. So, okay, here it goes, you know, and thank God so far, you know, people who have read it have said many very positive things. So that's very, very gratifying.
0: It's a very vulnerable moment to finally Uh put out that piece of work.
2: That's right. And you, and you, and my intent going in was to, Make sure this was going to be uh, popular. I wasn't interested in – the last I ever wanted to do was, you know, hurt anybody or say anything. That was not my intent at all. I wanted, But I did want to portray an accurate reflection of 41 years, uh, 42 years of, you know, of service and coaching. And uh, so I did put a – there's a section in the book, It's Not All Roses. Right. You know, which I thought I should put in there. And it's, you know, I think it's fairly, you know, it's – it's honest, I left some things out which were really not roses, but, but that's okay. I think, I think the people get a, a flavor of the difficulties and the frustrations and stuff. But, uh, so I, I'm, you know, in the end, I started out writing the book for my grandchildren.
0: Mm.
2: And then I sort of, I said, well, maybe let's expand this a little bit more. And then, uh, before you knew it, I had a whole bunch of stories and I was about putting it all together. And so, yeah, it was, it was time consuming. It was scary. Uh, a lot of rewrites. Oh my God, sure. a lot of rewrites. I'm
0: sure. I'm so. sure. There are also but, there are a lot of cooks in this for this broth. Uh,
2: yes, a lot of cooks. A lot of cooks. But my wife was uh, especially the chief cook, so she was great.
0: I mean, I would definitely wanted to. I definitely <laughs> want to talk about her. The sections in which you discuss her. I mean, obviously, as a woman and as a wife and as a romantic and whatever, are are fantastic and something that we have to get to. But like. Um, other New York Times magazine readers I know, I start from the back and I go to the front. That's just that's just the way I roll. And so all the stats and all the numbers and the history that goes back to the, in in this book, starting at the end, is just it's it's miraculous to me because I I started it over vacation and again I started from the back and within the first two pages, looking at these uh, at some of the names from the 30s, I mean it was my grandfather. It was all of my adopted uncles. And, um, these are names that, uh, of people who raised me. And so I'm looking at this going, my God, this is so exciting. And it was all automatically, I know this book was yours, but this book became mine.
2: Well, I, I was one of the purposes in writing the book. As I said, it started out to be, you know, like most people, you know, you write for your grandchildren. So, but then I re- what I really wanted to do was I wanted the book to be a tribute to all the YU players. I wanted people to know about these YU players, about what they did, what their dedication and what they did for themselves, what they did for the school. That became very, very important to me. And obviously, look, I I go back to 72, but I was around in the 60s. I played in the 60s and knew the fellows from the 50s. But before that, you know, I didn't really know. And one of the things I've been thinking about doing in one of my more insane moments is trying to go back and maybe do something on the players back, you know, the early guys and get get mm. do some interviews with people and see if I can put something together. But to me, it was very, very important to go back with the statistics, especially in the early years. And it was fascinating to me to see who some of these people were right. and who the grandchildren and the uncles and the aunts are. I mean, I have stories which, unfortunately, by the time I found it out, it was too late to put in. I mean, just a, just a real quickie. One night I get a call, I'm not going to use any names at all, from Dan in Lakewood, and they say, well, you know, I have a grandson, and I'd like him to go to yeshiva. I'm, I said, where are you from? Are you from Lakewood. I said, Lakewood. <laughs> he says, yeah. He says, you ever take any kids from Lakewood? I said, listen, I take kids from any place right. to play. I, we know.
0: don't discriminate. I
2: said, and by the way, there are a lot of good ball players in Lakewood. You know, They're you know, they're so, so sure enough, he comes up with his grandson, and he comes up to the gym. You know, the whole outfit, wow. the kapata, the hat, the beard, the whole deal is Lakewood, 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 with this kid, and. So I saw the name which will not be mentioned, and I say the name is so familiar. And so I'm thinking and thinking while I'm talking and talking, and all of a sudden I say to him, wait a minute and he's he's talking basketball,
0: wow. this fellow with the beard. Wow. I said,
2: Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Your name is you know did you play in nineteen forty five for Red Saracek? He looks at me, <laughs> says, I promise you, I swear to you, I'll not tell you a secret. But you did, didn't you? He said, yes, that was me.
0: Oh, my
2: gosh. He said, and this is my grandson. I want him to play for yeshiva." <gasps> wow! So Somebody uh, made
0: a left turn and somebody made a right well, turn. Well, we say. will
2: not go through any of the details. That's not <laughs> important to the story. What is important to the story is how so many of those fascinating stories, which sort of cuts across a whole other subject in terms of our world, and you know, and who's in the right and who's in the left, and which just reinforces the my central belief is that you may be in the right on practice, you may be in the left on practice, but you're, you're, everyone's Jewish, and that's the thing we should never lose sight of.
0: That is that is huh, that is an unbelievable <laughs> statement, and you're 100 percent right. And looking back at some of these names, I mean, again, I'm looking at um, the teams of the 30s. You had High Aronoff to to me was Uncle High, and when I was reading, when I was looking over the lists. And I said to uh, I said to my husband Stephen, I'm like, look, Uncle High was captain of MacBee's. He said, he's like Uncle High. I'm like, yeah. Uncle, High. and then there was my grandfather's name, Isaiah Eisenberg, and right. Norman Goldklang and
2: who, and by the way, Barry Eisenberg, and
0: Barry Eisenberg played uncle. for me
2: in right. Camp at Camp Rawley and at MTA, and all of a sudden I said, "Oh my God, that's Barry Eisen- Eisenberg's grandfather! Right. Unbelievable!" Right. right. This is
0: a good show, by the way, for Noam's birthday because this is you know there it is there that's you what you is the Eisenberg exactly. family right. exactly. So it was all it, it just it just very much became part of. Uh, this book became very much part of me. I, I found that I was incredibly sentimental to it, even though I hadn't read any of your prose yet. I hadn't heard your insight. I hadn't heard your anecdotes more than, you know, what was printed in the book. And, and already all I was attached to it. And I think that that's um, a testament both to the book itself and to the way you planned this and to the history of YU and the Maccabees.
2: Right. i uh, listen. I think the book in many respects is a microcosm of YU. It's what makes YU such a great institution. With all its, you know, with all the things going on, the fact remains it's a fabulous institution, Absolutely. a fabulous concept, something I have been very fortunate to be part of for all these years for going dating back to my father as I write in the beginning of the book for 83 years. It's been a nice. help at Yeshiva for 83 years.
0: That is an anecdote, but I'm, uh, yeah, uh, for, you know, to quote, to quote a great movie line, you had me at hello. I mean, once I read that page, it's incredible. Just share it with our audience.
2: Well, that's you know, as a teaser, if
0: they haven't. Well, bought it's the book a teaser, yet. so right. it's
2: right at the beginning. It's entitled, you know, the Hebrew typewriter. And my father's, uh, my father grew up in the old yeshiv. His father was, his father was expelled when the, uh, when the, all the Russian nationals had to get out, and he, he ran to Egypt, left my father with his, with the mother, and unfortunately his mother passed away from the typhoid epidemic in the old yeshiv, old yeshiv, and my father found himself in the Diskin orphanage, oh. where at. The age of uh, I think four or five, and he stayed there till sixteen. But just to show you that nothing's been created new under the sun, they believe in the disc and orphanage that every child there has to learn a trade. So when he goes out into the world, he'll be able to make it on his own. So my wow. father's trade, he learned how to type Hebrew. As a matter of fact, there's a little controversy. Where his name is really Halpert or Helfer, because on the on the on the oh. diploma, he's named as Ozer. So now it's, it's Mordechai Ozer, and then we figured out Ozer could mean he was a helper in the office. Helper, helper, comes to Ellis Island, can't pronounce oh, it, becomes no helper. But he learned how to t- type in Hebrew, shows up here at 16 years old. To make a long story short, uh, Dr. Revel is looking for a Hebrew typist to type his correspondence. My father comes with the ability to type Hebrew and with his Hebrew typewriter, goes to work for Bernard Revel, types his correspondence, barters his Part is that, and
0: the rest is. His and
2: story. the rest is history. Along come my father. Along comes Johnny Halpert, <laughs> right uh, there, and that's. Uh, the next thing you know, it's eighty-three years.
0: Unbelievable. Right. I would say time flies, but eighty-three years is 83 really. Years. <laughs> it's a really long time. Right. So was forty-two years.
2: Well, I'm finishing my forty-second. Yes.
0: Unreal. When you started, could you have ever imagined?
2: No, no, no. I mean, when I started, I just I want, I had loved I had the opportunity. I was offered the job to be the high school coach. Mr. Wetstein, my high school coach, retired that year, and then Red Sarichek called me up and said, Sammy Stern, who had taken over for Red for three years, was getting the job at New Jersey, uh, New York Institute of Technology, and Red said, I want you to do the college. I want you to take the college job. If you if you want to read the story about my relationship with Red Sarichek, right. you can go to the last story and. I think there was the hard, maybe one of the hardest chapters to write because there was a, there was, I, I wanted to portray Red, you know, my relationship with Red and it had to be done honestly and accurately because that's the way Red would have wanted it. Mm. So you have to read the chapters. Uh, maybe it's I'm not sure what's my favorite, but it was my most difficult one to write and Red offered me the job and I took the job in 72 and I was so excited because I thought I was a genius. And <laughs> after the end of the first year, I realized I didn't know anything. Oh. And then uh, fortunate enough, I, had the ability to step back and say, "Hey, hey, boy, you better you better sit down here and learn." But what I if you ask me? a regret that I have in all my years. My regret is that I wasn't smarter when I started, so I could have helped those kids more. Because what I know now, I know I always think to myself all the time, "Boy, if I just known this then, I could have done so much more for those guys." You know, but I was young, I was new. It's a lesson to everybody out there. Right. You know, you're young and you're new. I started out thinking I knew everything because I played for Ed. And boy, I found out pretty quickly. You know, you lose 18, 19 games, you realize you're not so smart. Hmm. So then the next question is, what do you do? And you know, I've been I was fortunate. Red was very supportive of me. Read the chapter. Are you still oh. coaching? Go to jonathanhalpin.com. <laughs> Buy the book. Was that good? Miriam? I was, that was told. Great. That's I was told great. I was supposed to do that every like three minutes. Yeah, right? like you have okay. Tourette's. Just uh, keep this. going.
0: <laughs> like it's just a spasm.
2: Available. local <laughs> <laughs> book. Okay. I
0: was gonna. By the way, at the end we're gonna talk about. It. You have book signings coming up. Yes. Right?
2: Yes. Book signings. Where? Tell me. All right. Book signings. Are this, you gonna
0: be at the farm sale?
2: Ah uh, well, uh, my book is at the farm sale. And I plan to spend a lot of time there. Yes. <laughs> oh,
0: coach. It opens, I didn't realize you were gonna be here. It's,
2: it opens on February 2nd. Oh, you're here again. Right. Did someone remove this guy already? <laughs> Could get the, Security! You, no, you can't have a table and chair. Could you get out? There's no room. Why'd you, know? you bring
0: your own table and chairs, Coach? And who are
2: all those people here with you Awkward. walking around? Awkward, right.
0: Awkward. right. Anyway,
2: so February 2nd, <laughs> it's at the, we appear at the swarm sale. At February 2nd, there's a book sign at the Young Israel of Hillcrest.
0: Oh, at one nine time. 9 a.m. Oh, yeah. Right, right
2: after Minions. So I'll get That's you. That's a good move. Because you all got a Minion there at Hillcrest, and I will get you on the way out. <laughs> You're not getting past me. And then at, something very exciting, the Young Israel of Holliswood, they have a Super Bowl Sunday. And Rabbi David – Rabbi Dr. Aaron Adler is going to be speaking about play to win Judaism's attitudes towards sports and athletics. And then I will have the fortune to be following a a scholar who learned with the Rav. So how about that segue, you know, a scholar who learned with the Rav talking about uh, attitudes towards sports. And then I will be speaking after Rabbi Adler about, you know, my – Memoirs of my books about the, the interaction between, quote-unquote, God and basketball.
0: Mm, and I'm so, sure that that conversation would, would, in real life, go much longer than just an hour.
2: Yeah, well, I could go for a couple of days, but I don't think anyone <laughs> wants to hear that. You know, you, you, I
0: think you're wrong.
2: Coach. Wind me up and then, you know, oh, my God.
0: You need to have a seminar.
2: A seminar? Yeah. All right, okay. You can have a Coach
0: Hopper seminar.
2: That's fine with me, you Are know. Are you kidding uh, me? It would I, be
0: ridiculous. You know,
2: I my, ask my kids, Daddy, would you please... That's enough, Daddy. We heard that story already, <laughs> right, Daddy. Come on.
0: Well, I always joke with my dad that why say in three words what you can say in ten.
2: Sure. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Of
0: course. Like in any any other academic, they would say the same right. thing.
2: Even though they're all sleeping at the table, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> coach Johnny Halpert, the coach for the YU Max for the last forty two years, joins us here on That's Life. We are talking about his book, Are You Still Coaching? Forty one years coaching Yeshiva University University basketball. You know, coach, we were we were discussing uh just in the other room some of the players that you have um, on the court today, and obviously, as I've made known before, my nephew is on the team, and so I'm not going to uh, pick favorites, Shelby. But there's a um, there's an enormous amount of talent, cultivated talent, on the on the court today. And you talk throughout the book of how you find talent over the years.
2: Well, you know, obviously uh, today, especially, you know, the probably maybe. Uh, the number one, and number two job in coaching is, is recruiting. You have, you know, you have to have players and at yeshiva it's, you know, it's challenging, but that's okay. Uh, and I always, you know, my, I've always had the following. I look for character first, talent second. I can, t- I can teach basketball, but 18 year olds, it's, you know, you can influence character, but you have to start with characters. So I've been very fortunate. I try to look for kids with high character. I've been very, very fortunate. I've had some great kids. I have this, a great team this year. You know, you, I'll just – I'll give a quick shout-out to Shelby because I told him just last night that I just – one word, he's heroic. And we're not going to go into all the details, but he's just a heroic, fine young man and I, and I don't, I'm gonna to try to be very careful not to do this because I could run down and list all, almost all 300 kids. So it's No almost, way. I, well, no, I, listen, I've been very fortunate, been very blessed with some wonderful, wonderful kids. It's not all roses, everybody. Right. Not all roses. Let's, you know, let's not think this is, you know, uh, the high character society where everyone comes, but.
0: Well, when is parenting ever all roses?
2: It's never all roses. Right? And teach, and coaching and teaching is, is parenting. In some respects, it's easier than parenting because you have a little distance. Some respects a little harder, but you know, but that's the job of a coach. The job of a, I always felt the job of the coach was, look, you got, you're teaching basketball and you want to win games, but I'm a big believer that the way to win games is with character. Ultimately, You know, we you play a game for 40 minutes and you play you play close for 36 and you have to win the last four. And the way you win the last four is with good decision making. And good decision making is based upon character. It's based upon kids understanding roles and strengths and weaknesses and all the cliches, teamwork and you know and understanding understanding that concept. That's how you can win the last four minutes when you have with high character kids. You don't have high character kids, you're going to lose those games. I'm very proud. One of the things I'm most proud of is, and, you know, if you go through my stats, which of course mm-hmm. I do every day. Anyway, <laughs> I look at, you know, uh, when we're plus five with three, plus three, anything t- plus, you know, three, four, five in the last four minutes of the game, our winning record is, is, a, is really, is really quite exceptional. Uh, and to me that's a real testament to the, to the character and I, you know, Sometimes you're not, you, you don't have to always be humble all the time, and I don't believe in false modesty. I, I'm very proud of that accomplishment. And that, you should be. Because I think that's a product of the work and efforts that I put in in making kids understand the whys, why you're doing it, what's going on, why. It's not enough just to say that was a terrible shot. You hmm. have to make the kid understand why it's a terrible shot Otherwise, he's going to keep taking it. That's a terrible shot. What does that mean? It went in. It's still a terrible shot. Why?
0: <laughs> not just so, about the points.
2: Yeah, so you know, there are many anecdotes in there right. where, you know, you come out of a timeout, you're running the play, and, you know, and the next thing, you kid, your kid's doing the exact opposite. He makes the shot, and everyone, everyone's, you know, hey, Ray, Ray, and you go out and winning the game by five, and I go into the locker room, and I rant and rave. Right. I said, it was a terrible shot, and he looks at me. I said, I don't care that it went in, it's just because the next night, it's not going to go in, and the next night after, because you don't understand why it's a terrible shot. You don't even understand what you're doing. <laughs> so... I spent a lot of time on that, you know, and uh, sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not successful.
0: You know, speaking of success and and sometimes not success, I was surprised. I I loved the anecdotes in the book where you talked about um, being the Jewish team and representing and the respect that you got on on many levels, whether it was during the Gulf War when you had um, the situation um in a, i think it was atlanta right in florida, oh, florida, hollywood, florida. Right. in hollywood florida where all of a sudden you were shown by an fbi agent how to exit the back in case because there was a credible threat against the team right. which totally freaked me out but again there was a tremendous amount of respect and obviously we're not just talking about human life but we're talking about jewish life and then on the flip side when i read the section on um the Maccabiah games during night in 1985 how there were tryouts held on Shabbos, how much you protested and how the members of uh, the max who had tried out for the teams didn't make the Maccabia team simply because they wouldn't participate on Shabbos. I couldn't, I mean, I, I can only imagine that my frustration only was a mighty, mighty, minor, 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 minor percentage of yours. But still so many years later, I was stung. I mean, it's 30 years. I was stung by that, that lack of, of mutual respect.
2: Well, you see, it's one of the things – I I found it a, a sad moment, a frustrating moment, a sad moment. And it still – it stays with me because, unfortunately, we still have this. And it's the same thing that really – just the, the quick story is the sports committee for the Maccabiah Games in Israel, which is a wonderful thing. It represents the Jewish people, the Maccabeah Games. But like all good things, it depends what you do with it what, and – Unfortunately, sometimes you have people who just don't really understand. They're very quick to promote their Jewishness when it serves their purpose and interest. Yeah. And these were very fine people. They worked very hard. They built games. They were, these are good people. These are not bad people. I'm not trying to, but they didn't get it. Right. They, they were building, they built this games and they didn't hesitate. The whole games are predicated on one simple thing that they were Jewish. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no point to these games. <laughs> But at the very moment that they're pronouncing their Jewishness, they're trampling on the very traditions
0: that makes it distinct. Right. That's the basics.
2: I mean you can't right. have tryouts on Shabbos and then declare yourself you're, the, you're, you're Jewish. I'm not talking – what you want to do in your personal life is your business. You want to, you want to observe. You don't want to observe. It's But when you represent an entity which has its sole purpose is that it's Jewish – And I write in the book, you cannot stand on the mountaintop holding your trophy held high, proclaiming your Jewishness, and get there by trampling on the very traditions that make you distinct. You can't have it both ways. And to this day, it makes me crazy. And I write about it again in in the D1 mania section when you go back to the recruiting piece where I find kids. So often you have kids who have had a nice high school career
1: mm-hmm. and all
2: of a sudden, you know, get caught up in what I call D1 mania because they get a letter and the parents think they're going to play Division one basketball. It's all fine and good, but, you know, and then – but they get stories written about them. And what – the only reason they're writing a the story about them is because they have a yarmulke on their head. Fine. That makes them distinct. Right. You're using your Jewishness to enhance yourself. Fine. But that moment in time, you then cannot take the Jewishness and use it for your own good and then sit on a bench. I'm sorry. No, I, I'd sit on a bench on Shabbos with a yarmulke on your head. And what makes me crazy. And I'm not afraid to say it. I didn't, I wasn't afraid to say it in 85. And I will tell you, it didn't help my career any, but I don't, <laughs> but I didn't care. It was wrong. And I will say it again now. And it's nothing to do with the young man. He's 18 years old. He's a kid. Right. He needs some guidance. Right. You can't, and the community, the community can't go gaga over the fact that a kid with a yarmulke is sitting on the bench, right? But he's on Shabbos. My God, and your gaga over it. I can't tell you how many calls I got from friends, supporters of Yeshiva. So, do you see the arc? Isn't it great? I said, great. It's disgraceful. Hmm. Don't you get it? Can't you get it? You can't, right. you can't do that. To Tommy Goodman's great credit.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He played with a yarmulke. But he would, and we can go into that story separately. It's another right. time. But here's the bottom oh, line. It's time? Yeah, well, who knows? Remember my second book? You'll bring me back if I stop talking to you long enough. <laughs> At, at, you know, I don't at,
0: want to interrupt. At
2: the same time, you know, he, he never played on Shabbos with, his young, with a yarmulke. He never used – yeah, he used his Jewishness. There's no question about it. He didn't use it. The media used it. But to his credit, but, but – I, I thought the
0: Samir Goodman section, by the way, was great and was handled well, very, very well. well and I also think there's a lot to be learned, and I, and I appreciated the fact that you used that section, in my opinion, which I imagine I, I hoped was your intent, as a, as a teachable moment.
2: The le- the one thing I was desperately trying not to do... Was bash. ...was say anything there bad you know. about the young man. Right? He was a very fine young man. My comments were really reserved, and this I'm not ashamed to say, to what I refer to as his entourage. Right. And I will not go in to define who the entourage was. Doesn't matter. But they didn't do this young man any service, as most entourages never do, and I wrote... And there was the only place I really, I guess, maybe let out a little bit, where I said that entourages never like to face the truth because they have too much to lose. Mm. More, they get more worried about themselves right. than the young man they're representing. And by the way, for maybe for our world, this is a new phenomenon. But if you go out into the general recruiting world and you talk to D1 coaches who are recruiting, and the number one thing that makes them crazy are the hangers-on mm. and the entourages. At the pro level and even at the high D1 level.
1: Wow.
2: It drives them crazy because 99% of the time they couldn't give a hoot about the kid. They're looking for the payday at the end of the road. Ugh. Now that's not the case in our community.
0: Right. But, right.
2: but there's, there's lots of ego needs in our community. Correct. And, and there's
0: then, also lots of temptation and there's right. also dollar signs. And that's there's, right. It's a, um, right.
2: so, but I, I tried, I must tell you, I rewrote that many times. And I wrote. wrote that many times with the help of a couple of my older grandchildren.
0: Really? Why them and not why because, them and not kids?
2: Because uh because the grandchildren knew Tamir on a personal level from camp, camp other situations. Got it. And so you know, I wrote the chapter once, and they they looked and they said, Grandpa, I don't think you should write that. Wow. And I went back and looked at it. I said, But it's really good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they said, "Yeah, but
2: you don't you don't want to write that." And I reread it, and I said, "You know what, kids, you're right. Wow, you're really right. I I really got to refocus. And I rewrote the entire chapter, the entire chapter, wrote it again, gave it to the kids again. They wrote. I said it's better. I said, but it's not good, is it? They said, no, it's not good. It's only better. Wow. And I rewrote it again. So I'm very thankful to my
0: uh, kids are tough. Kids.
2: No, well, that's why you go to kids because kids will tell you the truth. They, they're, fortunately, you know. You know, if you really want to hear truth, talk to a (laughs) four-year-old. And if you're lucky enough, the kids still have that element of truth in them when they're 18, 19, 20, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Unfortunately, as we all get older, we try to nuance things, which I, unfortunately, have never learned how to do.
0: (laughs) You're listening to That's Life. Here on the Nachum Segal Network, I'm Miriam el Wallach, joined by Coach Johnny Halpert. Coach for 42 years. Right. Wow, that's a marriage. Coach for 42 years of the YU Max. His new book, Are You Still Coaching? 41 Years Coaching Yeshiva University Basketball, is available everywhere, JonathanHalbert.com.
2: jonathanhalpert.com, please. That's the best place to go. Please go to JonathanHalbert.com.
0: <laughs> I'm begging you, please. Yeah, I know you'll save
2: money on Amazon, but please go to JonathanHalbert.com. You know, uh, Grandpa needs a new pair of shoes.
0: There you go. You know, let's talk about Grandpa for a second. You know, you've talked about your grandchildren. You've talked about your kids. You've talked about your wife, and I want to really talk about them um, more in depth. But tell me how... Um, how writing this for your grandchildren helped shape the direction of this book?
2: Well, so –
0: Because now I'm really talking to you as an author. Right. I'm not talking to you as a coach right now. I'm talking to you as an author. If they were your inspiration, tell me how that worked.
2: Well, so I here's – it starts out like this. You know, I'm always telling stories in the house about my experiences. Uh, The kids have heard the stories a hundred times. So my daughters especially said, Grandpa, Daddy, why don't you write a book? To write a book. I said, ah, I can't write a book. Yeah, why don't you write a book? So I retired from my real job, my real world in the, in the two, in 201 and, uh, actually 204. And they said, well, you have all this time now. What are you going to do? Why don't you write a book? I said, right. so I started writing the book and the purpose was just really to sort of write my stories down, you know, and so the grandkids would have something, what grandpa did and that right. kind of, you know, that usual kind of stuff. You know, you get to a certain age, you know, you, Start thinking about well, when well, they got to know about this old goat in twenty years? So you know. <laughs> so I started writing it, and then it was very difficult. The first one I wrote was like five paragraphs. It took me like two months. I said I'll never do this, uh. and then it, and then all of a sudden I started writing, and the writing of it after you finish writing it and rewriting, then all of a sudden you realize you're not really saying what you're thinking. So really, what is it you're thinking? What really are your ideas? And it f- sort of forced me to put down on paper, which I what I've been talking about. And, you know, at halftime speeches, pregame speeches, individual. And I just then I just started taking the stories and trying to set them into a context. I didn't want to write a story. Yeah, we played at Manhattanville. We made a three-point shot. We won 52-51. Hooray, yeshiva. <laughs> uh, well, who cares? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you know. But I wanted to take that game and put it into the context of sometimes coaches are afraid to lose. And many times in life we're afraid to lose. So you never take a chance. And so I write there that sometimes you gotta go with your visceral emotions, you know, as long as you don't make that your uh you know, your everyday thought. Because right. you sometimes you just gotta go with what you feel. But and ultimately you can't be afraid to lose. And yeah. I think that carries forward. So I try to set it into a context and I try to take the stories and like I say, put it into a broader context, which helped me myself really, you know, identify and why I identify. And then I realize how much of what I am comes from all the incidental learning of being in yeshiva world all my life
1: hmm, interesting.
2: you know all of a sudden I, I, I read the Pasha and all of a sudden you know I look I'm not I'm not big into Mephoshim unfortunately you know but but I learned you know from Rabbi Friedlander and the young Israel Hillcrest who learned with the Rav who said the thing you need to know is Pshat hmm. just know Pshat read the Pasha Pshat so I started reading the Pasha Pshat I don't mean to be sacrilegious but all of a sudden I started seeing things in the Pasha which related to basketball I said, oh my God, I've been doing that. That's why I'm doing it. So it helped me, sh- it helps shape so many. There's, I mean, I have right. a check, uh, section there on, you know, garden basketball Absolutely. and I, I, quote from Pierre K. Ovis all the time. You know, uh, you know, who's the, who, who's the happy coach? The guy just won his game last night, you know, or a kid, you know, <laughs> so if you crave gold, you never have enough. Kid who likes to sh- like to score will never have enough shots. Uh, you know, Gracious, uh, you know, all, all the stuff in the book. I don't want to give away the whole book. You ought to buy the book, buy the book. com. Anyway, but you know, there are many things there. God created the world. And right. at the end of the day, he said, it's only good. I said to myself, well, good? You just created the whole world. You know, good? If you put it on ESPN every night, it's the top 10 players of the month. Who are your best players, coach? And I finally realized that for God, creating the world was only, it was just good. There's only one time that God says, Tove Me Ode. Should I give you the answer out to everybody? At the sixth day when God finished, completed the world, he looked around at everything that he created, how everything was interacting, and he said, Tov Meode.
1: Mm. Basketball.
2: Individual stars. Right. Great. Right. Team concept of team. Right there. The first, the first rule for coaching. The first rule for coaching. Team. Hmm. God it was good enough for, it was just good. He created the world, it was just good. It's only very good when everybody works together. Yeah, Is that good, true of start. every aspect of our life? It's good marriage, start. politics, kids. It's good for it's it, it applies to everything. Right there. The first first uh, you want to be a teacher, you want to be a parent. Understand that concept. Right. It's only can be very good when everything works well together.
0: There's um <laughs> So many comments, so many thoughts. I just wanna, I'm gonna take a step back for a second. That's life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam Wallach. I'm joined by Coach Halpert. We again are discussing his book, which is available at jonathanhalpert.com. Are you still coaching? 41 years coaching Yeshiva University basketball. I also want to remind people that they can email Avrami with their schlockrock Rock requests. A F at Um We will take one of your requests and we will close the show with it today. So make sure, because Lenny and schlockrock, Rock. Will be headlining our halftime show this Sunday around 8 p.m. Just at the start of the halftime show during the big game on Sunday, we will be having our own, as you know, our kosher, our kosher halftime show brought to you by our friends at Cedar Market Empire Kosher, the OU Nefesh Benefesh. I mean, and I mean, I could go on and on and on. But I thank everybody, and we, you know, just talking about team coach. This this has been a process. This has been a team. The evolution of the kosher halftime show. If I can, you know, add my own little something in here, has really been a, been a team effort. It, it started with Daniel Gordon having a concept and and bringing it bringing it to me and me back and forth with Nachum, and then us abandoning this and then coming back to it and, and hearing from someone else. No, you got to do it. You got to do it. And going ahead with it and being able to pull it together. There were so many moving pieces here. So many moving pieces that when I, when I reflected on the show this morning um, and the process and everything and thinking about what it took to come into this and to be able to produce a, half, a kosher halftime show and the PR and the people handling the PR and everything, it really has been a team. It really has been a team. And so, yeah, it was all good. But now it's Tov Ode. It really yeah. is. You see, the, yeah. you see the, the fruits of that labor. It really is Tov Ma'od, and, and it's incredibly gratifying. Um, it's gratifying because, just like you, we're providing a good product. We're providing something for the community. You're providing a tremendous amount of inspiration and opportunity and, um, and, and showing kids that they can reach those goals. I mean, you talk about, you talk about why you being, and this opportunity being everything. Being, I can do both. I, you, know, you had t- players who turned away who said, I want to play basketball, but I can't do the Judaic studies. And you have players who say, I can do both. And, and they're the ones who, who come and they give and, and, they're, and they're a part of it. And so that's what we had with this team for the Kosher Halftime Show. We had people who said, I can do both. I can do all. And it's really been, it's really been amazing. It's really been tof mode.
2: Well, one of the great things that I think the playing basketball and going to yeshiva really teaches kids is that you, you you can face multiple challenges at the same time, and you really can't have it all. You really, really can't have it all if you're prepared to work right. at it, If it's and if, only do it if it's important to you. And so if it's important to you, then you can do it. You can do it if you want. You can do anything you want.
0: You know, Charlie Harari was on with Nahum this morning, the last couple of minutes of J.M. and the AM, and they were discussing um, one of the lessons of the Super Bowl. They were dis- And Charlie brought up the idea of being prepared, how it's not just about the guys who are on the line. It's about every single coach who's on the sidelines, who's got a headset, who's got a this, who's got a that, and all the moving pieces that go into a play, that go the communication, et cetera. Um And I'm sure, obviously, you can appreciate that, the hours you've spent crafting a play and then working it through and tweaking it and, and working with your assistant coaches and, and then working with each individual player. I mean, that right. is – the level of preparedness is, is incredible.
2: Right. And, look, it doesn't matter – if you're a leader and it doesn't matter – what the title is? A coach is a leader. A CEO is a leader. A principal of a school is a leader. A president of a university is a leader. The, or the same there's one common theme that runs through leadership, you know. And and the and the successful leaders are people who build successful teams. And and, and I and I and I think you know I, I write I write about that in the book, and it's a short chapter, but it took me. Not long to write it. It's entitled The Arrogance of I. Mm,
0: yeah, that was beware, great.
2: Beware the arrogance of I that was because great. that's one of the great dangers in, in leadership is that you simply forget that you are there to serve. And if you want to know where that comes from, just go back to the Pasha. Mm. The Shara Sum. Wow. It's all about service. Now we, a lot of people, politicians talk about it. We hate politicians because they get up there and say, we're here to serve the people. And everybody knows that's a lie. They're there to serve themselves, but real leaders and any organization who has successful organization, you'll find a leader who understands it's not about elevation of himself. It's not about Korach. It's about Moshe all about service. Mm. Korach, how is it possible that Korach could challenge Moshe? Was he out of his ever-loving mind? He was just put it on our simplest level. How can that successful CEO get himself in that kind of trouble? Is he out of his mind? What's going on here? Korach, arrogance of I. The most dangerous thing that's so easy to seep in everybody tells you, "Oh, this this And so all of a sudden, the next day you wake up and you think it's about you. It's never about you. It's never about your elevation. It's about the, it's about the the people you are serving. If it's the team and it's your players, and if it's the CEO, it's your workers, and if it's your teacher, it's your classroom. It's about them. It's not about you. And as far as what you do is not for you to decide. It's what others will decide about you. It's, it doesn't matter what I, it does matter what I think about myself. It's important that you have your own ego. It's important that you don't engage in false humility. As long as you don't walk around pounding your chest about it, that's right. an internal dialogue that you have to have and you have to believe. But ultimately, your value is not determined what you think. It's 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 determined by the people you have served. It's what they think. It's what my players think right. of me. That's the most gratifying thing when players come to me and tell me there's, there's no more gratification that. The, part of the great things about this book, the feedback I've gotten from the people who've read the book, it's, I mean, it's moving. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you hear people
0: For sure. call
2: you and they write you. So that's what it's about. It's about Lashara Sam, and that's the danger, uh, you know, that leaders face. But uh, it's, it's
0: also the feedback, by the way, that you get from the people around you and including your wife. Oh so let's, God. let's talk about the wife. Right. Let's talk, I mean.
2: I'm just going to throw in one last word because yeah. it just happened last night. It's also about the feedback you're willing to accept from your players. Last night we were doing defense in preparation for tonight's game against Brooklyn College and there was a particular question how we should handle this particular defense and I said X and my son Rafi said Y and Benji Riddles said no. I think we should do Z, Z. And we looked and we said, Riddles, you're right. Huh. We need to do Z. You got it. That's right. And so that's part of leadership. Part of leadership is getting the, your people who you are serving right. to li- to be willing to open up and li- and you can be amazed what you learn from them. It's incredible. I sat in that thing a half, a half a day trying to figure out what to do. And this kid got it in 30 seconds. And I, I, what I'm proud about is that he was felt good enough that he could say it. And I'm proud that I didn't, my ego wasn't too big that I couldn't, exactly. that I wouldn't accept that's it from it. a player. Who the hell are you to tell me? Right. Shut up over there. I'm the coach. That's it. Nonsense. That's, that's the key. That's here. the arrogance of I. And that's, and I wouldn't have taken his, I wouldn't have taken the advice. I wouldn't have listened to him and we would have failed.
0: Hmm. That's also so. a very hum, that's a very humbling moment. That's a very yeah. humbling moment, both as a coach and as an individual. It was, and it's also a teachable moment for your, for your players. That I, this is, this is a cooperation. This is a relationship. This is, this is something where we have to work together in order to succeed. And it also, um, it, it teaches them how no one, no one is, 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 above everyone else. And that this is a collaboration. Listen, but I don't want to, I don't want to let the conversation about your wife go. I don't want to let the conversation about your wife go. You know,
2: we're 47 years that she's listening. So let's go here.
0: Let's talk <laughs> about the wife. <laughs> So, I don't know if it's the inspiration, the support, the fact that she is known by the refs, the fact that she is known by the by the players, and she sits silently. See that to me, and I had heard that about her, is that she sits silently throughout the games. I mean, I'm not a woman who's known to ever sit silently. I cannot mm. imagine the kayak. <laughs> the strength that it takes her to sit there and watch this all evolve and it's not just about her husband it's also about her son and to sit there for all these years and say i'm going to stay silent what yeah. a woman
2: well listen aviva is a is a very 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 very, <laughs> very very special person in many in her own right in her own world enormously successful person She worked at mount sinai hospital in hospital administration for 25 years she just retired about to, uh, last February and, uh, I, you know, we went to the retirement party at Sinai and to see all the doctors and medical directors and come and, you know, he preys on her for her work. So in her own world, she's not silent. Mm. Trust me. In her own professional <laughs> world, she's never been silent, known to be silent. She's very outspoken. And, but she also understands the concept that she's serving patients. She was a HIPAA officer, privacy officer, and she, Her job was to protect the rights and privacy of patients and she would do that regardless who she had to say that to and what she had to do. Highly principled, incredibly honest person, forthright in her own professional world. Wonderful. But she also understand understood and she would come to the games because Aviva was an athlete. She was a player. And so she probably
0: wants you to say is an athlete. Well, she still isn't athlete. We She's go. not
2: tennis. <laughs> Unfortunately, the old girl can't play tennis with her anymore. So you know, but she works out, you know. So, so, but she understood. She understood the role there, and she accepted the role and went home every night with headaches because oh, because no, of the anxiety. Okay. She'd sit there very quietly, but you know, inside she was it was difficult. But she came to the games because she wanted to be part of the celebration, and more importantly, she wanted to be there for, to help me through my disappointments. And, right. So we had this incredible relationship. Five pregnancies sitting on bleacher benches. And
0: Unbelievable! Come on,
2: five. That that already is That already is an award.
0: Oh, for sure. And
2: then the attendance at the games. And and the interesting thing is that the kids recognized it. It was just amazing how the kids felt it and recognized it. And I don't, you know, she rarely spoke to the kids, but when all the players graduated and the relationship between me and the players. Kind of evolved, you know. Right. Coach-player is a sort of vertical kind of relationship.
0: That Daniel Aaron anecdote is amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, and then so then all of a sudden, then so she would get kids would need summer jobs and things like that, and the Shabbatones, they would come to the home. It was all kind of incidental relationships. But when she missed the game, everybody said to me, "Where's, where's, you know, where's your wife? She, she needed a night off."
0: So <laughs> because
2: and. And then, of course, the, you know, the story about Coachette, you know. Right. Great line. Daniel, Daniel went to work for it at Mount Sinai Hospital, part-time summer job, and there it was called the, by first name, so it was Aviva. He couldn't call her Aviva. Right. So, and so was he gonna, so he said, Coachette, <laughs> And that was it, then it, it it stuck, and now it's, you know, it's Cochette, and it, I think that word just sort of symbolized the appreciation that the, the kids had, the players had for Aviva, and, you know, I'm not going to go publicly here with you know all kinds of stuff. But if you read the story, I think you can feel the the emotion that I, that I feel in the relationship how it started. It's pretty. It's,
0: it's a pretty. Fun, it's
2: a pretty funny story. It's, it's a pretty great. good story. You know, Camp Mossad on a on the, where else but playing 21 on you know on, on the Camp Mossad basketball court the first day the first day of camp before the camp was camp. She was a waiter. Thank God she loved rye bread.
0: Yeah, that by the way that was hysterical. The whole, I mean, but, but all of these anecdotes, every one of them are great and every one of them are touching. And even the parts that are, that are, you know, not everything is, 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 is hunky-dory and not everything is great. I loved the fact that um, maybe just because I know Daniel so well that Daniel Aaron's knee injury made it to, to the not everything is great section.
2: Hi. Daniel, Daniel. You know, Daniel. the section there, it's not all roses. Right. It's, it's titled head, shoulders, knees, knees, Yeah, that knees, was – and,
0: and it was funny because I was like, all right, where are we going with this? And well, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, head injury, knee injury. Well, I
2: guess I had a need, I guess, at some point there to say, hey, guys, you know, this hasn't always been so easy. You know, there are a lot of disappointments along the way. So – uh and unfortunately, many of the disappointments, you know, would lead back to injuries. Right. And, you know, one thing you can't do when you're in charge, you just – You can't you can't allow excuses. You just can't accept them. Because once you accept once you start saying, Oh, the refs are no good, now you have an excuse not to play well. Once you start saying, Well, I have injuries, I can't practice, I can't do this. So what are you saying? So I have a reason to lose. So you gotta avoid you you just ignore injuries. You ignore it, you go on, there's nothing you can do. I mean, I don't mean to seem, you know, uncaring. A kid gets hurt on the court in the middle of a game. I must tell you My concern for five seconds is about the kid during the game. And then all I'm immediately thinking about is, okay, he's out. He's finished. Next, who's stepping up here? Now, after the game, I'll go visit the hospital. I'll stay there all night. But during that game, I'm not going to do it because once I start doing that, I say, oh, I'm missing my star. You're finished. Right. I'm missing my stars. So, okay, next. Let's go. Show must
0: go on. You got to go on. It's,
2: hey, life. We uh, Who doesn't have bumps in the road in life? So what are you going to do, sit there and feel sorry for yourself and talk about how you got a bump? No, you got to get past the bump.
0: But it's also the people who are on the sidelines They're people who are on the bench, whether they're not playing or whether they're injured, that are still crucial parts of the team. I know my daughter had a game the other night, and I was pretty annoyed with – um, the kids who, members of the team who weren't playing at that moment because the team was down and it was volleyball and they lost the first game and the second game they were up and one of the girls on, on, on the bench goes, Oh my God, guys, we're winning. We're finally winning. Look what you did at the scoreboard. And like she was giddy and, and what, and so like immature about it that it, to me, and she was doing it very loudly. Everyone in, everyone in the gym heard and she was making a spectacle and I was really, I was really unhappy because her goal. Was her goal should have been that I am still a member of the team and that everyone on that bench is as important as the people who are playing at that moment. And when you, uh, you know, I told you, I told you before we got on the air that there are a bunch of quotes in here that I absolutely love. You wrote, um, you quote Tom Landry. Next time you get into the end zone, make believe you've already been there before. Hmm. I thought that that was genius. Don't, you know, just there's a, there's humility, but B, there's also like, Owning the moment without making a fool. And that, to me, was, was one of the things that really upset me about this, this student's behavior. Right.
2: Look, uh, what I, some of the kids I, who I've admired the most over the years have not been my stars, have been my 13th, 14th, 15th men. Wow. Because here are guys who are basically practice players, came every night, wanted it, played hard. And that is why I – the only part of coaching that really bothers me are the tryouts Because at some point in time, I'm saying to kids who really want something, you can't have it. Mm. And that bothers me a lot. Why can't they have it? Because there's some arbitrary number of 15 out there or 14 or 13. So over the years, and I write about that and I taught, I got taught taught that lesson by 12, 13, 14 year old JV kids when I started. That tryouts, I always thought it was about getting the best players. But tryouts has been more worried about the kids who didn't get chosen in. So I've always, over the years, uh, I get to the 15th, 16th, 17th, I've carried 18 players because a kid who wants it, I said to him, how badly do you want it? You know, you're not going to play. You're not going to play in the game for a minute. You're still going to come here and practice four days a week. The kid says, yeah. I said, prove it to me. And they so they come for two weeks and they prove it. And I say, you're on the team. And some of the players say, how are you carrying 18 guys? I said, it's none of your business who I'm carrying. <laughs> I said, he wants it. And I'm not sending them away. I have no right to send the kid away who wants it as long as he's willing to come here. And those kids come and they play and they're part of the team and they become very important players on the team. They have a tremendous role to play in practice and they do it. And to me, those are the most, some of the most remarkable kids I've had the opportunity to coach. And I would never cut those kids. I love, I, truth is many times you just, they'll say, who are your favorite players? I'll say players. They'll say, who? I'll say, yeah, he was a practice player, but he was That's fabulous. Amazing.
0: Well, that is a, that is an excellent, life lesson, along with so many other life lessons that are in this book. Are You Still Coaching? 41 Years Coaching Yeshiva University Basketball, available at jonathanhalpert.com and coming to a local area near you. Mm. Coach, an hour wasn't even enough, and I, I, I can't believe it because there's as, as Nahum would say, there are always things that you turn back and you say, I regret not being able to cover, and this is one of those things. I do hope that if you write a second book about the art of coaching and, and how to coach, that You sit back in that chair and you join me again for an hour. And even before that book is finished, you come back anytime.
2: Mary, you know what I always tell you? Ask me.
0: (laughs) I'll come. Ask you, you'll come. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming down here today.
2: Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you got to be kidding me! Totally my
0: pleasure. Totally my pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We have a full day of programming, and I want to get through everything, but I'm not going to be able to. So I'm telling you that the live lunch is coming up next and um, Gorf is hosting the stunt show, and the throwback Thursday, JM and the AM, is also a section that includes Gorf. I know I'm going through things really quickly, but I cannot end this show without making sure to t- discuss the upcoming kosher halftime show that will be this pl- Sunday, please God, at eight p- just around 8 p.m. By the way, my thanks to listener Yaakov. We are going to be listening to uh, Schlock Rocks Every bite you take, which is totally fine with me, as I am a huge police lover. So that was a great suggestion. Thank you, listener Yaakov. Um, but again, back to the show. Well On this Sunday, 8 p.m., our kosher halftime show featuring Lenny Solomon and Schlock Rock. Again, my thanks to Lenny of Remy Weisberg, Ari Boyanju, Jonathan Rimberg, and Ethan Bill. Serious lineup. My thanks to ZK and to all our sponsors, Cedar Market, the OU, Nefesh Penefesh, and, of course, Empire Kosher. Not many are often ready to jump in the first year of a concept. Sometimes they want you to take a little bit of a test balloon and try it out, but let me tell you, these guys have been all over it. Again, it's been it's been a wonderful, wonderful collaborative concept, and I thank everyone for being a part of it. I also want to thank my boss, because uh, who's uh, just about getting into the studio right now so he can listen to this on archive. Nachum is an incredibly, incredibly supportive boss. I'm pretty sure sometimes he wishes I would just file away some ideas we have around here instead of pursuing them, but this one was pretty much his idea. <laughs> and I thank God that we went through with it. So I leave you here today with every bite you take, again, from listener Yaakov. I thank everyone for their participation. I thank for Coach for coming in. I thank of Rummy for engineering. Again, Sunday, Kosher Halftime Show, 8 p.m., only on NachumSiegel.com. You can listen to the audio on the app, but you only able be able to watch it on our website. Folks, next time I speak to you, this halftime show will be over. <sighs> and I may have slept by then. That's life, everybody. Oh, it's Bye, guys. Be Triangle
2: of K. All proper way. Any red rose, any type and liver pate will be watching you. Since you've
1: I cleared out some extra space. Two sets of dishes are left in their own place. I look around, one for milk and one for place. By mixing them, you could leave a real bad
0: taste. I keep.